Hey everybody, welcome to episode 171 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung. Excited about today's episode. I've got special guest Brad Hudson with me today. Glad to be here. Good to have you back, Brad. And we'll be talking, as we should be this week, about the Olympic Marathon Trials coming up this Saturday, February 29th. You and I will both be in Atlanta. So this is our preview episode where we're going to give you all the details you need on how to watch, how to cheer, and then, of course, talk about the races themselves and give our predictions on each side. I've been spending a lot of time digging into these fields, Brad, and it's going to be fun to talk about it with you. So good to have you here. Great to be here. Glad to talk uh, trials with you. (laughs) We were doing this on Saturday, and I was thinking, man, we should just record this. So here we are. Great. All right. So before, but before we get into it, I want to make sure everybody knows how to watch. So give some of the details, the, the facts about this race and this field. First of all, for those that will be in Atlanta, this race is going off at 12.08 Eastern for the men's side, 12.20 Eastern for the women's side. TV coverage will start at 12 Eastern on NBC and so you'll be able to watch it on NBC nationally here in the US as well as on NBC Sports Gold if you have the streaming option there that is behind the paywall but that is an option for you who don't have NBC access and then for those in Atlanta coverage will be starting at 11:30 Eastern on the local WXIA NBC affiliate there so those are the details You can also, if you need to find out more information about the trials, the Atlanta Track Club has a dedicated website for it at atlanta2020trials.com, which I highly encourage. It's easy to get lost into that site because you've got all the athlete bios. Literally every single athlete who's declared for this race has a bio on that page, which is really, really cool. And shout out to the Atlanta Track Club, who's obviously done an amazing job putting this thing together. So those are the stats on how to tune in. I wanted to now talk a little bit about the races themselves. First, just to kind of set the tone on qualifying. So for the men's qualifying standards, you had to run under 219 to get into this field in the marathon or under two or sorry, or under 104 and a half to get into this field. On the women's side, it was 240 five for the marathon and under 113 for the half interestingly unlike last time brad most of our field came from marathons themselves because they did make that half standard more stringent made a minute faster right and so curiously only five of our qualifiers on the women's side declared qualifiers on the women's side are from the half qualifying standard and only 20 on the men's side are from the half standard and you have a record size field in this Olympic trials. You had 511 women qualify, 260 men qualify. But now if you look at the final declared list, there's 458 women who are declared to race on Saturday and then 238 men declared. So almost 700 athletes will be competing on the start line a record for any Olympic trials. What do you think about that, Brad? Um, I think it's great. So I think, um, you know, a lot of people uh, 
that I speak to, uh, you know, always asking me about the qualifying times. What should they be faster? Should they be slower? And so I'm all for making the trial as an event in itself. And so I think having easier standards, even to have more men, have 500 men, 500 women would be fantastic. Good for the sport. It creates its own event to some extent. I agree with that. There are people that's, that assume it'll be more stringent next time because of the size, sizes of these fields. But I agree with you because that 244 women marathon, female marathoner today might be your next 230 marathoner. Yeah, and I, and I think um, the interest, um, you know, of just getting more people involved in the marathon, competing in the marathon. Yes, we have participants, but it's good to see people on a, on a top end. Agree. Now, the complicating factor that everybody points to in keeping these standards the way they are is that it does create logistical challenges for an organizer like the Atlanta Track Club. They had committed to paying for every athlete to be there, even those that got the B standard, whereas in the past, typically only A standard athletes have gotten their travel covered. But even given the size of the fields, Atlanta Track Club still committed to that and paid for every athlete to be there, including their travel, which is a huge deal. And not every organizer is going to be able to do something like that. But either way, I think a big field is a good thing. Now, the other side is people talking about bottle service for 700 athletes. I know that having been told by some of those that have qualified about how some of the behind the scenes workings have been been orchestrated, the Atlanta Track Club gave people the option of whether or not they wanted to have bottle service or not. And they were trying to encourage as many athletes as possible. Do they know how many have declared for bottles or I I don't know that final mm-hmm. number but they did give people the option to declare or not and they were encouraging people to not declare and to use just the standard it's going to be chaos Gatorade bit. and water stops that will be out there as well but you know if I'm thinking about it as an athlete why wouldn't you want your bottles out there as well because you're going to have options then and so bottle service for 700 people is going to be crazy yes <laughs> so it'll be interesting as a spectator and for those watching on TV to see how that plays out because there's just going to be a ton of bottles, ton of bottle tables. I'm sure they'll space those out as well as they can, but those water stations are going to be an interesting place to, to try to watch and to make sure as an athlete in the field that you can stay out of trouble while trying to get what you need from a fluid standpoint. But We'll see what they decide to do, but I hope they keep the standards the way they are. And as you said, it would be interesting even if they relax the men's standard a little bit to to potentially pull in even more men as well. We will see. Interestingly, comparing this trials to last trials, you know, this trials we had 771 qualifiers, which again is a record. Last trials it was 457. So by an by by more than 300 people, we've got more athletes. And Atlanta the, Track Club's paying for all that. And the Atlanta Track Club's paying for everyone. So yeah, hats off to you. them. That's a, a massive expense, not to mention, of course, everything they're spending on the course itself, the logistics and all Security. of that. I mean, it's a several million dollar investment that they're making, which is which is a pretty rare investment from a group like that. So kudos to them. Interestingly, in LA in 2016, you had, again, 457 qualifiers. I don't know exactly how many towed the start line there, but he ended up only having 254 finishers in LA because of the extreme temperatures there. 
But you also have, and I've been told that they have a cutoff time for Atlanta as well, which is 3.15. So they're going to be shutting down the course after three hours and 15 minutes. So those women and men who can't meet that, that 300, that three hours and 15 minute timeline will, will apparently not be included in the official results. So it'll be interesting to see how this actually plays out in terms of how many finishers we get. But big fields, when you competed in the Olympic trials, remind me the dates. So uh, Pittsburgh, Okay, was, Pittsburgh. I was hurt for 96 in, I think 96 was in um, South Carolina or somewhere like that. I had, had surgery. And then the, the only marathon trials I ran was Pittsburgh. Which was what year? Um, 2000. 2000. And at that time, did they have men and women's race? Cause no, there the were women's were always somewhere them. else. Yeah. So they were pretty um, under the scenes. You, you know, I, I think even the U.S. trials till, till after Alabama, um, it didn't really come into its own. Yeah. You know, with New York and Boston taking the trials, it changed the game significantly. Yeah. So they were separate men's and women's. How many men were in your field? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember, honestly. <laughs> uh, it was, you know. Not 230. I don't think so. I think, lot, I think it was a lot less than that. Yeah. So what, but I'm not opposed to bigger fields. I think, you know, we want to support the high-end part of, of racing. And so I think it's not a bad thing if, if um, you know, I don't know if the race has to pay for, for everyone, but I think you can make the trials a, a, a decent event. And, you know, like the track trials, the trials itself has become an event in itself. And you saw at the last trials, a lot of people were very upset um, because the athletes, most of the athletes, except for the ones that made the team were kind of window dressing um, for having it. And so I think it's changing with Atlanta a little bit towards the good part of it. It, you know, like, like Eugene, when they hold the track trials, it's almost bigger than the games for the athletes in this country and for their sponsors and for their family. It's super important that they can make the team. And I think just competing in the trials is going to become something in itself as well, which yeah. is not necessarily a bad thing. It just becomes a different event. Um, yeah. Yes, we're there to pick the team, but we're also there every four years to see how many athletes we have that can you know, run a decent marathon. Yeah, and celebrate all of those in the field for what they've accomplished just to be there. Yeah. Which I think is really cool. And the other thing that seems to be cool about what's happening in Atlanta and I didn't go to LA, but I don't remember the same vibe is in that it also seems that the entire running world is going to be in Atlanta. There's a lot of events around the trials, live podcasts runs with different groups and people. And, and that's cool because yeah, in is, LA, they barely knew the trials was going on. Right. The Grammys were the same weekend. Everyone's <laughs> paying attention to like rappers and shit. Yeah. No one, no one care about the So Mexico. Atlanta, it seems to be like they're really putting it on the map. They're, they're bringing a lot to the weekend that's beyond just the actual running itself. And, I mean, just just to put a plug in, I mean, I'll be there as well. And I'll be there. You'll be there. But Kara and Shanna and I will be doing a shakeout run for the Clean Sport Podcast at 8.30 a.m. on Saturday meeting at the Olympic rings in Centennial Olympic park in Atlanta at eight 30. If you want to do a three mile run with us to celebrate clean sport and to meet Kara. So that's something we've got going on, but there's a lot of other things going on too. And if you're going to be there, I think it's going to be fun all around, including of course the main event. Let's talk about the course. The course 
is has changed slightly from when they initial initially announced it. They initially announced a route that had three six mile loops and then an eight mile loop basically to finish that included that original six mile loop. They adjusted to take out some turns primarily to simplify the course a little bit. So now it's an eight mile loop that they'll do twice and then the third time around they'll do it and then do a two mile add on essentially at the end to get to the full 26.2 miles. But the elevation on this course is tough. Non-stop rollers. You've got, it's reported as I've seen it, close to 1,400 feet of elevation gain within this race, which if you compare it to a course like Boston, Boston has about 900 or so total gain, feet of total gain. If you compare it to a race I just ran, the Austin Marathon, it had 1,100 feet of gain according to my Strava. And the Austin Marathon course is a really challenging course, and this is even more challenging than that. So it's a tough race on a tough course, nonstop rollers, no flat section of this race at all. What do you make of the course itself? So looking at the course, I think when I was looking to what my athletes had to do to prepare is that I looked at, so the only other trials race that I compared it to was New York. So when the men's trials were in New York in 2008, you know, we were preparing for hills, but not insanely. And this is, this is much, much harder. Um, so we definitely did a lot more of our specific endurance over harder terrain, um, like you guys did. Um, so I think my athletes are pretty prepared based on, you know, doing as much stuff as they can on, on rolling courses. And, um, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be a very tough race. What do you think about how this would compare to a flat race in terms of time adjustments. We were talking about that on Saturday a little bit. Yeah. So I tried to really think about it and I've asked other coaches and um, I thought it could be up to four minutes. Um, now with the wind, maybe for sure uh, close to four, but New York, we thought was two minutes slow. Um, and when uh, Hall ran two nine, we thought it was worth two seven and people thought we were crazy. And then he ran, ran two six. So <laughs> right. I think we were pretty spot on. We thought Ritz could run 208.50, 208.54 area is what we thought. And he ran 211.0. So we, I think we were in the ballpark as far as that. This seems to be, from everyone I speak to, anywhere from three to four minutes, we think um, slower than, than a flat, uh, good course. So Dope. So tough indeed, and it's going to test these athletes in many ways because you're going to have that eccentric loading on the downhills that is going to make the quads, they're going to beat up the quads. They're going to make the late race really, really tough. And it doesn't get easier. You know, that final 10 K. Yeah. The, the last, last 10 K is very difficult. So it's, it's going to make it anybody's game really at mile 20 of this race, I think. So that's a little bit on course. And by the way, for those that are going to be there spectating, this course, the of the eight mile loop, you've got a three mile out and back section on Peachtree or on Peachtree itself, which is the main thoroughfare through downtown Atlanta. So you're gonna be able to stand in one spot and see people at least six times more if you can jump over to the finish line from there. So really, really spectator friendly. You mentioned the wind. The weather, you know, in Atlanta this time of year can be anything, just like it can be in Austin. You know, we have, we've had low 30 mornings recently, and today I think it's going to get up into the 70s before it cools back down again. You can have that in Atlanta as well this time of year, but it looks like, based on the forecast, and we're doing this 
Monday, so five days out from the trials. It's looking like it's going to be cold. 30s, right? Low 30s, low in the morning, warming up to 46. And so if this race is starting at noon, then we'll be getting probably close to that high. So it looks like if you look at the long-range hourly forecast, it's likely to be upper 30s, low 40s at the start, warming potentially into the mid-40s. Perfect temperatures, I think, for marathoning. But the one thing that could make it interesting is that is the wind as a variable. You referenced that. Right now, the forecast is showing 10 to 20 mile an hour winds in Atlanta on Saturday from the north-northwest, which means it'd be in their face as they're going out on the loop. And that's going to make things interesting because it'll be hard to lead. It'll be hard to lead in that. What do you think of the wind? So um, wind definitely, you know, uh, runners hate wind and, um, <laughs> on a hilly course, definitely not going to be great. Um, not going to be fun, but I think, um, there's enough, even without the wind, there's enough, um, undulation and enough interesting things on this course that the race is going to be interesting. It's going to be very, very difficult and, um, we'll see. Yeah. I think the wind will also make it hard to, to lead for anybody who wants to kind of get out ahead and try to get a jump on the field. And there's some athletes in this field that we think potentially might be interested in that kind of a strategy. We'll talk about that as we get into each of the individual races. Let's start by talking about the men's race. Then we'll talk about the women's race. We'll give you kind of an overview of top contenders. We'll talk about how we think each of these races will go. And then we'll give our predictions for each race. So we'll put, we'll, we'll make you put your money where your mouth is, Brad. Okay. As as will I. Gotta I got to pick the top three right now? <laughs> We're going to, yeah, give us the top three. Not right now, but okay. we'll get to it as we talk about each field. So let's talk about the men's race first. If I were to summarize the men's race, and I know you might disagree with me a little bit, but there's four main contenders, and then everybody else is sort of how I look at this. You've got Galen Rupp, Leonard Career, Scott Fobble, Jared Ward as your four top contenders that seem to be at least on paper head and shoulders above the rest of the field. And then you have a big massive pack of everybody else, which includes some names that we have to mention that will be interesting potentially and could be contenders if this race goes crazy for those top four. But we've got to first talk about those top four contenders. Galen Rupp being on paper, probably the favorite given that he won the Shiles. Last time in 2016, running away from Meb at the end. And he, of course, also has the fastest PR in this field. Now, the question mark for Rupp is, is he healthy? He DNF'd in Chicago, his last marathon coming back from Achilles surgery. Although he did run a 101 low half marathon time a couple weeks ago. Oh, a very rolling course, in too. Phoenix, so probably a good a, test on his Achilles. Yeah. on In Phoenix to show that he is rounding into form and apparently that for him wasn't an all-out effort running 101 there so that would show us at least that he seems to be on form do you think there's any scenario under which Rupp doesn't make this team no no Rupp Rupp's better than everyone else um Rupp and career if they're both healthy should definitely make the team and um Ward I give real high marks to too as well is because he just won the Houston half he's great in the marathon. He's very scientific. His um, strategy is very good. 
And the same with Rupp. Career, I don't know as well, but Rupp, his tactics are flawless. He's not going to work. He's not going to do any of the leading until he has to. And um, I think, um, you know, I think Rupp and Ward make the team. And I'm guessing Career, if he's healthy and are, are better than most of the other people. So Rupp seems to be a lock. Ward, you mentioned Olympian from 2016, finished third in that trials, but has come on, has has come from there to continue to be do big things in the marathon. He was ranked number one in the U.S. last year for his performances combining Boston and New York, where he was sixth in New York and eighth, I believe, in Boston, running 209 there. His PR in April came back, ran solidly at New York. Again, this year to finish sixth. Again, Olympian, consistent. I was talking to him on the Clean Sport podcast last week, and... He said that this has been one of his best buildups to a marathon that he's had, so seemed confident and healthy. I would say that he has the highest odds of making the team of any athlete, only because Rupp, in my mind, gets a little ding just because he hasn't finished a marathon since before his surgery, and you never quite know how that Achilles will hold up on a hilly course. So if we can both agree on Rupp and Ward, then it becomes a debate about the third spot, you mentioned career. He ran 207 at Amsterdam in the spring yeah. on a flat course with a paced, in a paced race. He has also, though, done well at the U.S. Half Marathon Championships on a hilly course in Pittsburgh. He's a U.S. track champion in the 10K, so has shown considerable range. Hasn't raced, from what we can tell, in the buildup to the trials, so we don't really know anything about current fitness. But we do know that his coach, Scott Simmons, and that U.S. Army group that he trains with always seems to be ready to go when it's time. For somebody like that who has less experience and who maybe only has experience in a flat marathon, I mean, do you, ha- do you discount that or no? Or do you think talent is talent and it's just going to be there? So I think talent is talent, but I do know the Army guys – you know, they do their tempo run weekly on a very, very hilly tempo course. And, you know, I'm sure he's training on hills and I'm sure he'll be prepared uh, for that course. Now, um, the slower the race gets, the more it changes the dynamic a little bit. You know, yes, talent rises. And I think the best, the fastest athletes in the marathon are usually very, very close. You look at every trials, the best athletes are usually in it um, up front. But when you slow it down and you add wind and you add hills and you add tactics to it, it definitely can change the dynamic a little bit. Um, so I think, um, I think it's going to be interesting. I think, uh, you know, you have this, uh, guy that's getting a lot of the attention, Walmsley, who, uh, you know, a lot of the ultra people will be pulling for and it's making it definitely interesting. And I think, um, it's doing some good as far as showing how hard this guy is training and where he's coming at. And uh, I definitely like, reading about him a little bit. Yeah, you mentioned Walmsley. I think he's been doing 170 plus mile weeks. Very Japanese. Training like crazy for this thing. Has never actually run a marathon on the roads. He has, of course, run more than 26.2 miles as the Western States 100 champion. Ran 104 to get his qualifier on the nose in Houston a couple years ago to get his spot in the trials. And that will actually make him the last seed from, I think, in the field because they seed everybody based on marathon time <laughs> first. 
and then half marathon in time. And he has the very last seed in the half marathon. And so he'll get the last bib, I believe. But you've seen a lot of talk about him because of the training he's been doing, because of his experience with distance coming from an ultra background. And it appears like he's going to take some risks based on how he's talking. To me, I give him zero chance of making the team because a marathon is different. I mean, it'd be like somebody saying, oh, you know, Rupp could go win the Western States 100 because he's a fast marathoner. I think it's the same. That's as ridiculous as saying Walmsley can win, can win or make this team top three. But still, I, I think it's zero, he has a 0% chance of making the team, 100% chance of making it interesting. <laughs> Definitely. Because he's somebody who might be bold and might take this race out fast. And then the field's going to have to decide, is he a threat? How much do we mark that? How much gap do we give him if we give him a gap? And so yeah, he definitely will push it. Yeah, I think you're right on that. So if that happens, and let's say, you know, I know you were coaching Ritz when he made the team in, in 2008. If you're coaching a guy like that who's in the mix on the men's side and you have a wild card like Walmsley out there, what do you tell him? What do you tell an athlete about how to mark that or how to gauge whether or not to give him a long leash or not? So I think when, when 2008, we definitely signaled some people that we thought could make it and who couldn't make it. And so it was a main contender went, definitely needed to go. But um, I think Wardian ended up leading that trials. And so we didn't know when went. So I think you have to make a decision based on what the pace is and what are the, you know, we were looking at Hall and we were looking at Culpepper and um, Brian Sell, the very consistent people um, in the marathon and Meb. And so that's who we were focusing on. And I think um, similar in this race, I think um, I don't think people are going to let Walmsley go. Um, He's gotten a lot of attention and people, um, you know, we'll see. But with that said, um, it's definitely going to make it interesting. And I was sorry to hear Parker Simpson pulled out um, just a little bit ago with a knee injury. And I, he would have been interesting because um, he can't sit around. He also uh, would have been one to he's go. He's got jumping beans in his <laughs> pants there. And so um, it would have been interesting. And I think um, we need people a little bit reckless um, in the U.S. marathon. It's good for the sport and good for um, for racing. Do you think anybody who took a flyer like that has a shot? Or that is that just going to make it interesting for everybody else? They took a, What do you mean a flyer? Sorry. Took a flyer. Like if somebody goes off the front hard from the gun... Do you think they have any chance on this course with potentially a windy day? So I think it depends on the pace, what the pace is and who it is. And I think, um, I, I think a couple of things you have to look at this race. No one's ever raced the marathon on this course. So it's untested. So I think that is going to be in the back of people's minds is no one's raced on it. So there's not a lot of, you know, we, we look at graph charts and we can compare it to things and there's not a lot to compare it to other than it's very difficult. And you put the wind in and you do your best to prepare without killing yourself and making it too hard on yourself. And you hope, um, you hope you're in the game, but, um, not going to be easy. I don't, I don't think, I don't think whoever's leading at 20 is going to be leading at 26 in my opinion, um, in either race. When you look back at the history in recent trials, 2012, Ryan Hall in the, on the men's side in Houston, I was there watching, Everybody thought that race was going to go slow. They went out in 450. I was one of the few yeah. that said, no way. There's no way Hall's sitting around. He's that kind of runner. Flat course. He's led before. It's a flat course. And so he took it out hard. 
He didn't win. Meb got him that day because he faded because of that hard start. But he made it. But he made the team. I think he ended up second that day. And then and then in 2016 on the men's side, Tyler Pennell, I think, is the one that made a move. Now, he waited a little bit longer because of the heat. He ended up fading as well. And, of course, Robin, Rupp and Meb ended up taking that one late with Jared Ward cleaning up the mess at the end to get third. So you have some history of this happening both ways. Ryan Hall being sort of that, that blue chip contender that you, you talked about having to mark. Tyler Pennell potentially being that one you didn't have to mark. And so I think you're right. If one of those four guys, Rupp, Career, Fobble, Ward goes, you got to go. If it's Walmsley, I don't know. I think they're if still going with him. This, he's just gotten wait. a lot of attention. So it, I think it depends on what the pace is. And, you know, if it's 510, they're going. Right. You know, if it's 450, we'll see. <laughs> so um, I think uh, I think people are paying attention pay, pay, paying attention now. And, you know, Rupp's not going to do any work. He's going to sit. And um, if your career, I'm guessing, too, you don't do any work. If you're, if you're better than everyone, have a much faster PR, you need to avoid making mistakes and, and execute when you can. So, and you know, Rupp's been shown to have perfect tactics. The other thing here, you know, let's, let's bring Scott Fobble back into the conversation. He's, you know, the third seed in terms of qualifying times with the two Oh nine low that he ran in Boston as the top American last year. There trains within AZ elite. You know, I think Fobble's somebody you have to watch because he's proven that he can run tough on tough courses, including Boston and New York. Also trains in Flagstaff where Ben Rosario, his coach, is known to to build very tailored and specific workouts to the courses they're trying to run. But he's got teammates in this field. Sid Vaughn is one. Scott Smith is another. Career, by the way, also has teammates in this field. Elkanah Cabet, Heron Lagat. Stanley what have they? What other qualifying times have gotten? You know what they are. So I'd have to look. Okay. But Cabet's run two twelve, mm-hmm. and he has others. So Stanley Cabene, who's a steeplechaser, very, yep. very good athlete. He has a half marathon qualifying time, so he's in this field and declared. So he has potentially three teammates with him that can help do some work. You've got ten man elite. 10-man elite group that has, I think, three athletes in this field, including Reed Fisher and Brogan Austin, who run solid marathon times. So that's another variable as it relates to somebody going off the front that I think you could see, you know, some teamwork potentially where, you know, if if career, for example, his team wants to help him out, he can put those three guys on his team in front to maybe do some work so he can sit back well, they cover the moves and still stay out of the wind. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's it's possible for sure. I think, um, you know, it's tough to get people, you know, maybe you can get some people to work together for you. I, I don't see people sacrificing too much their own, you know, race, but we'll see what happens. And especially in career and Rupp's um, position, they're both going to sit. But Fobble, it could be a different game. And I'm not as high on Fobble as you are. Um, not that I don't think he's good. Just um, he hasn't raced. He hasn't raced super well since Boston. Yep. Um, doesn't seem to have the same momentum that like Ward has. But right. not that I think he can't make it. But right. Um, you it's definitely see yeah people coming in with a little momentum and 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 whatnot. 
Yeah, he's had to pull out of some races in the fall because of illness, from what we can tell. Says he's on form when when I talked to him for the Clean Sport podcast, but you never know. What what else are you gonna say? <laughs> you know, yeah, when yeah. you when yeah. you want to position yourself well. Of course, Ward ran at Houston, ran well at Houston, and so we know and he won the Mar- beat the Americans, which is yeah, yeah. So, so we know he's on form. Now we've mentioned, you know, the t- the top guys, Rupp, Career, Follow Ward. We've mentioned some of the other guys, Walmsley being one. But then, as I said, there's a whole bunch of other men Tons who could be potentially in the mix, and you just don't really know what you're getting from the rest of the field. You've got Jacob Riley. Gerald Mock, who both ran well at Chicago. What's the guy from the Atlanta Track Club? He went to my high school. Uh, McDonald or something? Or yeah. Guy, uh, Let me look. I've got the list here. I think he's the guy that got permission to wear the vapors. Like they run from a zoo or something. Yeah, right? McDonald. Matthew yeah, McDonald. That guy went to my high school and yep. he ran 2.11. Yep. Yeah, so he's, he's the record holder at my high school for the marathon. <laughs> nice. Yeah, he ran 2.11 in Chicago. You have Andrew Bumbleo. North Hunter in high school. Andrew Bumbleo, Bowman Track Club. Yeah, no one's talking about Derek. Or so is Derek in? Derek's in. So no one's talking about Derek and Bumbleo, and um, you know they're too good of athletes to not. They are, uh, and they both. Up. Derek had a freak injury, a freak foot injury, or something. In the fall, yeah. Because he tripped or fell or something. Mm-hmm. But he ran 104. Both of them ran 104 at New Orleans in Together. what seemed to be like a marathon effort kind of. Yeah, yeah. Kind they're of. They're too good of athletes not to pay attention. Do you they got, have anyone else, or is that it? Well, you got Matt Yano, you got Abdi Abnerachman, who... No, I meant from Bauer. Is that it? Oh, from, from Bowerman. Those yeah. two, yes. Okay. And you've got, of course, old man Lagat, Bernard Lagat, who wants to try to make his sixth Olympic team. Who's training in, uh, with Kipchoge's coach, Patrick Sang, in Kenya. In Kenya, you've got other athletes. Never count Bernard Lagat out. <laughs> Dude, guys like that, they don't go away that easy. They don't. Someone as great as he is. Although he's... You know, Ritz is my real dark not horse, Not a marathoner. You, of course, have Ritz. Is Ritz declare? He's declared. All right, he's healthy. He's declared. So, and he's and it's a hard a, course. He's run to a seven. So I think he has the third fastest PR in the field behind Rupp and Career. And he's good on hard course. He's a classic cross country runner. Loves the ups and downs, but he hasn't been able to put together a good marathon in a long time. What do you think about a guy like that? Does he have a chance, or is it a long shot at this point? So it's a long shot. I think <laughs> uh, I think Ritz would tell you that too. Um, so. But I think um, he has a lot of the, you know, his head and his talent. But as you get older, it definitely gets more difficult. And I'd be great to see him or Lagat pull it off. But, you know, it gets a little harder. Can he do it? Yeah. And we also haven't mentioned Shadrach Biwat. He's got a very good shot, too. Yeah. Who has finished third at Boston, has been top five. He's good on a hard course. At New York. He's run well on hard course. Runs with Brooks Hansen's crew, who always does a good job of getting their, their people. Trains with Ritz, presumably some. Always good at getting their people ready. Although I talked to him on the Clean Sport podcast as well, and he was talking about how he had a really tough 2019 because of an injury coming out of Boston and didn't really get to training for the trials till kind of late in the game. He said that things were coming around for him, but that it wasn't a perfect buildup. So of those other players... And there's a lot of other players. And there's a lot of other players. Yeah, we haven't mentioned Someone's Reed, come Reed out of the Fisher woodwork. from 10 Man yeah. Elite, who's run 101 for the 37 for the half. And he's a, again, doesn't have a marathon qualifier, has a half qualifier, but 10 Man Elite, those guys seem to get their guys ready. Of that list of other players, who would be your top dark horse options for sneaking on this team? 
Oh, it's tough. So <laughs> there's so many that um, I don't know. I would have to, you know, I I didn't even look at the list before I came on. I was just like, I'm just going to play it by what I really yeah. think and what yeah. I paid attention to. So I think, um, um, you know, there's a lot of guys that have shown they can run on hard courses. Uh, a guy like Noah Drotty. Um, Drotty's so- out. Oh, Jody's out. Jody's out. Injury. What did he pull out with? Uh, I don't there know. There you go. I should have looked at the yeah, list. But he's out. Okay. Jody would be interesting, but he's out. Yeah. Um. So, but you mentioned before Lagat again. Yeah, can't Ritz count him out. Ritz Lagat. Um, Walmsley is a real dark horse. Um, <laughs> but I like um, I like what he's showing. Uh, the fire he's showing in his. You training just like and, all those miles. He's I do. In. I do. I think. Yeah. Um, there are people that could be great, go from good to great with training with his um, relish. I think my top, I think my top dark horse would be, or dark horses, if I had to name a few. I like B Watt because of what he's been able to do on tough courses. Also, pretty consistent marathoner and has the history. I don't think you're going to see a top three runner who hasn't run. A decent number of marathons, you know, career could be, but I just I don't like. Has he only run one? He's only run one plot course in Amsterdam. So my my favorite dark horse would be Biwat. I also like a guy like Matt Yano, who's been running marathons for a long time. Trains in Flagstaff, used to train with an AZ Elite, ran well at Chicago, as did many. So it's proven that you know he was at least on form at that point. He's another guy that I think might be in the mix. I like Jacob Riley too. You know, a guy nobody hears about, but again, ran well at Chicago. Yeah, there's quite a few under the woodwork that we'll see when they run a, a difficult course. The guy from my high school is a shuffler. What did we say his name was? McDonald. McDonald. Yeah. All right, that's my dark horse. He's Mc- a shuffler? Anyone that went to North Hiron and ran 211, that's my dark horse. <laughs> He's not going down without a fight. The, uh, the, the home, your hometown team. Yeah, Annandale, New Jersey. We're pulling for you. Nice. Yeah, Matthew McDonald trains with Atlanta Track Club, you know, which is another thing going in his favor. He's clearly run the course, run the course, knows this thing well, and and I'm sure we'll have tons of people out there cheering for him. So it's not a bad choice there. All right, let's talk about picks. So I believe you said, if I'm, I'll read, give Rupp ninety percent. Reading through the tea leaves, Rupp for the win, Ward for second, career for third. Would that be accurate? I would say Rupp career Ward. Okay. If you had to put a put a gun to my head, Rub Career Ward. So Rub Career Ward. Yeah. In that order. Mm-hmm. What do you think the winning time will be? Two eleven. Now, interestingly, and change two eleven and change. Not a bad guess. You know, I was actually looking back at the LA times to see because I think two twelve one. You know, he was a factor then. Hills are a factor now. Two eleven one. Rupp ran two eleven. Uh, Meb was in the two twelves and and Ward was two thirteen flat. Yeah, it would seem five minute pace in the course is very good. So, I actually agree with you on the time. I think it'll be two eleven, maybe two twelve if it's slow enough early, but. Even with that, it was slow early in, in 210 LA is he, if he's wearing the alphas. <laughs> 210 high if he's wearing the no. <laughs> Well, you know he'll be wearing the alpha <laughs> flies. All right. So 
those are your picks. So you said Rupp first, career second, Ward third. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go. But I would say I see Ward on the team in any scenario. Yes, Pass. I agree with well, that. Practical. I agree with that. I think he's the, to me, he's the only one I would put all my chips on in Vegas. Yeah, A's coach is great. For B, making he's got team. a great head. The So I'm going to go Rupp, Ward, Fobble, leaving career off just because I'm, I'm not sure what we get from him on a hilly course and his only his second marathon. And he's I Kenyan. You think he hasn't, doesn't run hills? <laughs> and I don't know what fitness he's in. I, I would assume those guys race a lot, the Simmons crew. So the fact that he hasn't raced to me is a They've red flag. in Kenya, I think. Is a red flag. Maybe so. But I'm going Rep Ward Fobble. I like Fobble because of his perceived toughness. He's run well on tough courses. Yes, he hasn't shown him to anything to us recently, but is, is seems to have the confidence of in his training and of his coach going into this. So I'm going to pick him for my third. So Rupp for the win, Ward for second, Fobble third. I like 2.11-ish for the winning time as well. And if I had to pick a dark horse, give me good old Shadrach B. Watt. He's, he's my dark horse and McDonald's favorite. my dark horse. All right. I love it. So how do you think this race is going to go? Like uh, the men's, you're saying still yeah, like pace. Race. Yeah. Well, I mean, just the dynamic of the. Of so the race. I mean, I see Rupp doing nothing till yep. the end, till the last uh, couple k, and I see um, um, I see the same with career, um, yep. and I see Ward perhaps taking it um eight to k eight k ten k out as it starts to get hard, but you know, till then there's going to be a lot of players and a lot of factors outside of them. I think they're going to react to the race a little more. And, um, you know, marathons tend to, um, get rid of a lot of people by yep. the last uh, few miles. So we'll see. I do think that if you're up, you had, you had surgery on your Achilles. You don't want it to be a yeah, ridiculous. You're going to wait. Yeah. You're going to wait. And I mean, shoot, he showed that in 2016 when he was on Meb's heels forever. At the bit. Yeah. <laughs> Annoying. Meb, Meb yeah. looked back in that race is like, come on, man. Yeah. And we don't know, you know. Uh, career hasn't raced, but I'm just guessing that he's better than, you know, his two sevens very, very good and shown. I don't see him doing anything till the last few miles either. So those guys are wait. Yeah. I agree with that. Guy like Fobble maybe leads guy like Walmsley maybe leads. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Ben Rosero and then get the, uh, Hoka guys to all push. But, uh, I think it's a hard race to, to know exactly what, what pace to push at and yep. to know because it's untested. So I, yep. I think it's a hard, that, that's, that's a risk. The only thing I would say though, to counter that slightly is just that I do think somebody like a Fobble, you know, is going to want some consistent rhythm. And so I could see if, if it goes out super slow at some point, those guys at least getting it to some sort of honest effort which would then potentially blow up the field a little bit to for a few guys at least whittle things away for some talented guys. You don't want to turn it into a half, right? You don't want it to be so slow, one hundred eight or something in the first half where it turns into a one hundred two, one hundred three finish, and right, you know, it's not a true marathon. It's and it's harder. It's harder, and and more variables can mm-hmm. can go wrong there. So, so I do think if it goes slow, you might have a group that would at least keep it honest. So, but we'll see. It's going to be fascinating. I think there will be fireworks. I think you'll have somebody go off the front, like a Walmsley or somebody. You got two Oregon kids in the top four. 
Because your dark horse is Shadrach, who went to Oregon, <laughs> and we got rubbed for the win. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, you're all you're all in the water. But it's going to be fascinating either way, and I do think it'll be interesting the whole time. I do think by the end, the gaps will be big enough that it's not like you're going to have a sprint finish at the end through Centennial Park. The, the hilly course is going to turn it into a more difficult strength race and fatiguing people's legs the last 10, 10, 12 K it's going to make it interesting. I think by, to me by five K to go, we'll know essentially who our team is barring disaster, but we will see going to be fascinating. So that's the men's race. Let's talk about the women's race. I think probably deeper in terms of potential contenders and favorites for actually making the team. Whereas on the men's side, we're talking about really those top four as being clear clear above and beyond the rest i think there's gosh potentially 10 11 women who could at least be in the conversation certainly there are the cream there's the cream to that crop but more women in the conversation for this i want to list them in order by qualifying time just for the sake of for the sake of discussion we've got jordan Hesse, obviously who's our top Qualifiers run 220, best PR in the field. Amy Cragg had the second best PR, but she dropped out last week due to fatigue and illness associated with the Epstein-Barr virus. So that makes our new second seed, Sarah Hall, who ran really well at Berlin. Run consistently well the last couple of years. 222 there. You have Emily Sisson, who ran 223 at London for her debut last spring. You have Kellen Taylor, who's run 224 at Grandma's, which is a rolling course, by the way. Sally Kibiego, who ran 225 at Berlin. I don't think enough people are talking about her. Yeah, for sure. Emma Bates also ran 225 at Chicago. And then, of course, Molly Huddle, who's run 226 at London, but she's finished on the podium at New York. Des Lennon, we can't forget her. Obviously, won Boston, finished in... Uh, you know, the top of major marathons like New York and Boston often. You've got Alphine, Tully and Muck, Steph Bruce from NAZ Elite, also with with the credentials to be mentioned in this top group. And we haven't even mentioned Ali Kiefer, who you're working with right now, who has run well at New York and who seems to be rounding into form as we approach the trials. So that's a pretty good list. Of that list, you know, if you had to pick four or five that you would kind of asterisk flag as the cream of the crop, what would who would you say? Jordan, um, Kip Yego, I think you're right about that. Um, Sisson would be my three. Um, you know, that if I had to pick three, yeah, um, those are the three that I'd probably pick. Really? Um, and then um, Kellen Taylor and Alfie are, are and, and Steph, but I would say Alfie or Kellen are dangerous. Yep. Um, Sarah Hall is going to do something. <laughs> you know that. Um, she could be bold. Yeah. I think, I think it'll be interesting. Um, Why no Dez? You haven't mentioned Dez yet. Forgot about Dez. Come Completely. on. Come on. Dez Brad. is going to do something. Dez. Um, I forgot Dez was even in the race. <laughs> He's um, very much in the race. I forgot about um So it's hard to pick. It's hard Dez to pick. is I don't see any scenario where Dez is not in the top four. Okay. Okay. Um that's, just that's on her consistent statement. just on her consistency and, and her race tactics. Um 
But one, one thing I think that's interesting about marathoning in general is that, you know, it's easy to talk about a lot of people because there are a lot of potential contenders. But if you look back, particularly on the women's side at the top contenders, 2012, 2016, the same four women finished in the top four. Shalane, Amy Craig, Des yep. Linden, Kara Goucher. Correct. 2012, 2016, different order, same four women. Going into LA, the top four seats finished in the top four. And so now it's different this time because we don't have Shalane, we don't have Kara, yeah. some of those, and we don't have Amy. And but we've got Des, so there's, there's more questions. Yeah, there's definitely some question mark. But still, the cream tends to rise to the top is my yes. point. Jordan Assay being probably the most prominent of that group. She's run well in a hard course, Boston. Run Boston well. Yep. Finished yep. on the podium there a couple of times now. But has also run fast. So has the talent. Has run in 220 at Chicago. But had to DNF in Chicago. Has also had the stress and nerves associated with changing her coach. Seems to be that she's self-coached right now with advice by Paula Radcliffe. That's pretty good advice. <laughs> but is she healthy is a question. She hasn't raced, so we don't know. She was originally on the start list at Houston, but didn't race Houston. Although if you follow her on social media, she seems to be in good spirits and seems to be talking positively about her fitness. So it seems like she's coming into this on form. If I think about her a lot like Rupp on the men's side, kind of similar credentials and caliber with the same injury questions. Would you put her at similar chances to Rupp of making this team or less? Yeah, I think um, if health's, you know, if she's healthy, yes, Jordan Hussein makes the team. Um, but um, it's got to be healthy. <laughs> Sarah Hall, 222 at Berlin. I could give you like five to one or six to one might be easier for me. Like, <laughs> Sarah Hall. Well, I, I just want to know. I just want to know about Sarah. Very good shot. She's running very well. She's aggressive. Um, Do you think she'll take oh, this race out? Um, I don't know if she'll take it out, but at some point you're going to see her. <laughs> She's going to be pushing somewhere. I'm just guessing. <laughs> just like her husband, Ryan. Correct. She doesn't like running alone. My question marks for Sarah, and although I like her a lot, our final interview for the Clean Sports Series with the top contenders comes out on Wednesday. It was with Sarah Hall. Really beautiful person, positive person, inside yeah. and out. Has been competing at the highest level since high school. And has only recently come into her own, really, in the marathon, even though she's run well at before. My challenge with her, and she's a sentimental favorite for me. I'd love it if she made an Olympic team. It'd be amazing. She doesn't go away. But she that hasn't. Been around she hasn't. But she doesn't tend to do well in, well, at least hasn't proven that she can do well in championship marathons. She's done well in championship road races, but not championship marathons. And her race in Berlin was pretty much a time trial, which is completely different than this affair. So that's a question mark, I think, for her. I like Emily Sisson, even though she doesn't have experience because she just seems made for the marathon and proved it with her 223 at London. Although again, just like career, that was on a flat course with a paced race and that's very different than what she's going to face. So perhaps I should be more skeptical of her chances, although I'm not. So maybe I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth there. Kellen Taylor, just super tough. And she said, by the way, in an interview we released yesterday with her that both 
both well she Steph and Alphine are in good form her comment was don't be surprised if all three of us are contending late in this race which tells you that that's a good sign for that group Emma Bates is a name I'm not hearing a lot of but trains in Idaho ran 225 at Chicago has all the talent in the world and I think four years from now she might be in a position where she's a lock for this team I'm not sure if she's quite ready yet but I could be wrong she also won the U.S. Marathon Championships in 2018. Huddle. Yeah, Rand Houston has a workout, so, you know, it's hard Rand to Houston say. Ran exactly. well there. Yeah. I think she had 23 miles total on the day with a 108 or 9 in the mm-hmm. middle. Yeah. So that bodes well. You never can count out Mount Molly Huddle. And she finished on the podium in New York, but I've never seen confidence from Molly in the marathon, which is interesting. For somebody who has 28 U.S. titles. And then, of course, Des. I'm with you. Like, I think she's going to be there. She's, she's do, just too consistent. So she seems at a point in her career where she's mixing it up and um, could make it interesting. I've heard some say, though, that Des is past her prime, that maybe her, her time has passed. Do you think that's true? We'll find out. Yeah, <laughs> I think, um, I mean, definitely... Um, it's possible. <laughs> it's been around a long time. <laughs> yeah. She has, but I think she's still got something left in her, as proven by the fact that she ran 226 in New York. And she and ran 226 aggressively. Did And did well yeah. there. So, so, I mean, and that was just three months ago. So, if that's any indication, Des is not past her prime. She'll be right in the mix. When I look at this field, I have to circle those names that I think have done well on the tough courses. And to me, that's the cream that will rise to the top with the one exception of potentially Emily Sisson just because of her pure and raw talent and the fact she's a good racer. So if you have to pick this one, one through three, and give me one dark horse, what do you think? Um, Jordan. First. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jordan Kipiego. System. If I had to pick three, yeah. you know, I think that okay. are um, going to make the team. Interesting but. that you put Sally that high. Of course, Sally has been on the podium in New York, by the way. She beat Molly Huddle. I believe it was in the 2016 race. Took some time away from the sport. Had a child. She's good. Yeah. It's coming back. I talked to her in April in Boston in the press event there. And just a great person, like a really fun kind of conversation with her where she was super loose going into Boston, but had had a really hard time coming back from pregnancy. She talked about that challenge, just getting physically ready again. Ended up DNFing at Boston because just wasn't quite ready, but then came back around 225 at Berlin, which is no joke. Now, it's not the 222 that Sarah Hall ran, but... People forget that Sally Kibiego has won as many national titles as anybody else from college. It's her and Susie Favor Hamilton have the most NCAA titles. I think it's t- they're tied for the lead on that. So she has an amazing pedigree, has medaled in the 10,000 on the track. So just has the raw and pure talent and has finished second at New York. So I like that pick there, although it surprises me it's so high. Of course, I like Sisson as well. Who's your dark horse? Allie. 
Allie. I'll take Allie as my dark horse. All right. So why Allie Kiefer? What's give us a little bit. I know you can't give us all of it. As um, just advisor, starting to get in shape, and I think um, you got to pull for your athlete. Yeah, got to have uh, hope and um, pull for them. You know, there's in the women's field, there's quite a few dark horses. I would say there's a lot of people. People aren't talking about Laura Tweet. People aren't talking about. Um, whew, I can't even think. I mean, there's there's a lot of good athletes that yeah. people aren't talking Lindsay about. Lindsay Flanagan. Yeah. Lindsay Flanagan, very I mean, good athlete. Alphine could be there. She's got yeah. all the talent in the world too. So, but what would you tell Allie about strategy? I mean. I'm not going to share that over the line here. Okay, fair enough. I but, would say. Um, but you've got to, so you've got to think that somebody like Jordan is going to, just like Rupp, is going to sit. Jordan's going to do nothing. She'll yeah. do nothing, right? She Kip Yoga won't do anything either. Um, I think to last 8 to 10, 8K to 10K. Now. Sisson may lead 10k to go or something. I don't know. I don't know about that. I think you're 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 the ones that might do something interesting would be Hall because Hall, yeah. she likes to Desi. lead. Alfine Tolimuk, she's a front runner, likes to lead and has pulled her teammates to good races. I mean, pulled Steph Bruce to a 10k road title. Do you see them leading from the gun? I think they're going to want it to be an honest race. So I do think that that NAZ elite group could at least keep it honest and work together to do so as a group of three, which, you know, which should thin the field out and, and kind of bring it down to that top group. But that could work to the advantage of, you know, the Jordans and the Kipiegos of the world who might tend to sit. And so if let's not talk about Ali specifically, but if you were advising somebody else in the field, I mean, is it is this one where you just wait as long as you can, if you unless you have to move? Um, you know, once again, it's pretty unproven, so I would hate to, you know, I think people have different racing styles, and I think so. Um, I saw a quote from Ben Rosero saying, you know, you have to go with it or whatever, and for the most part, that's a pretty good um, strategy. But I think people's mentalities and this course being unproven, I think you have to run the race that's correct for you. And mm. I think, um, you know, if you're a front runner and aggressive, that's that's kind of what you have to do and, and not be swept up. It's just another race at the end of the day. Yes, it's the Olympic trials, but it's a race that you need to execute the best you can for yourself. Yep. So you're going to say Kipiego Sisson. My picks right now would be Sisson for the win. Again, talking out of both sides of my mouth. Yes, she's less experienced, but I have to I just, go with the Oregon girl. I think she's, I think she's a natural with the marathon. So I think that mm-hmm. that will rise to the top. Jordan got to pick her, picking her for second because I think she just, if she's healthy, the talent is there. I like Des for third because I think, yeah. you know, you can't bet against Desiree Linden. She's gonna be, as you said, she'll be in the top four. She'll be in the mix. She's tough. She'll. She'll be able to handle the terrain and certainly any race. She's going to run within herself. She's going to be just fine. I like Kipiego as my dark horse for the same reasons you like her on the podium. But I'm just not sure if she's quite ready Has yet. Has Des raced? Just curious. I forgot if she ran. Has she run a, a pre-race? She has not. She has not. She ran New York. And, and Kipiego either, since. right? 
She hasn't run it that I know of since Berlin. So we don't know what we're getting there. We we don't know that from Sisson either. Don't know it from Jordan. The only one we really have good good info there is is Steph Bruce and Kellen Taylor both ran at the Rock and Roll Phoenix. And I think they did like a one ten or something like that, running sort of marathon effort. And then Huddle, who ran in Houston. And Alfie race, no, you said? Alfie did not race. So I don't think. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think she did. So there you go. Actually, I am wrong about that. I think Alphine raced in Houston as well. Anyway, so not a lot of, not we don't have data on everybody, but that's always the case. Time. What do you think time for this race? What do you think? <laughs> well, I told you, I look back at the LA times kind of as a reference point. Craig won in LA with a 228. Des got second there, also in a 228. Shalane was a 229. Kara was a 230 for fourth. I think it's going to be a little bit faster than that. I think this field is a little bit deeper. I think there are people like Sarah Hall are going to keep it more honest from the beginning. I'm going to say 226. Because if you look at like top U.S. times in what New York. What makes the team? 227? Yeah, 226 for the win. I'm going to say, I don't think it's going to be that close together. I'm going to say 226 to 228 for the team. What do you think? I think those are pretty good. Yeah, um, pretty good. So, yeah, a little bit faster. And if you look like Des read 226 at New York. And everybody's going to say, well, Des, you know, Des doesn't have a fast, as fast a PR as Jordan or Sisson or even huddle and I'm like well I don't really care because it's it's a it's, different type of race. That's yeah, yeah it's just, just a different type race. of race. Yep. Yep. So we will see but I think if you the thing to look you know if you in the men's race we talked about Walmsley potentially making it interesting going out in this race and I and I and if it were me and I had an athlete in this top group I'd be like ignore Walmsley. Let Walmsley do whatever the hell he wants. He's going to maybe go hard and play him out. I think in the women's race, somebody like Sarah Hall could keep it honest from the gun, and you have to match that if you're a top contender. So I actually think the women's race will be more honest overall. But you never know. We'll see. And wind could be a factor, and wind can change. Wind can change a lot in five days, so we never know exactly what we're getting there. But if it's windy, it's going to be hard to lead. Yeah, and especially so that's, if it's 20 miles an hour. Yeah, it's going to make it hard for anybody to just run away with this thing. So, there we go. That's our preview. We Anything will, else? We will see. You and I will both be there cheering. What's your strategy on course as a coach? Um, so, I didn't take all the tests. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So, you didn't get a credential. I, got, I have a credential, but not like a certified one or whatever right, it is. Right, right. So, somehow right. I have a pass to be USATF out of the course. USATF required I can't go to that dinner or whatever. Um, I didn't take the sex offender test or <laughs> yes. whatever. Safe sport, uh, yes. Safe sport test. Um. So you don't have an inside pass, but you obviously can be on course. So what's your plan? Are you going to be in different spots, the same spot? Yeah, I'm going to be. I'm going to be all over the place. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to, I'll try, probably be as many places I can run across. And stuff. Yeah. Are you going to? So, so you're going to run, not a bike or something? Uh, no, I'm going to be on foot with a friend. Okay. Uh, all right. Yeah. What about you? I'll also be on foot. 
still still strategizing that. But, you know, again, the fact that you can stand in one place and basically see people six times is pretty nice. So, yeah, hopefully that'll yeah, be enough. great for spectators. We're still still trying to decide our rogue. We'll have some rogue athletes there. How many people from Austin? From Austin. So I know we have four kind of rogue affiliated athletes. Kate, Kate Barrett, Sarah Rommel, Allison Maxis, who this will be her third Olympic trials. And then Will Nation, who is a coach for us. Then you've also got, so that's four. Then you've got Allie Kiefer, Katie Watson, Allie Cleaver. You've got Rory Tunnelly, David Fuentes. That's another five. So at least nine athletes that I can count from Austin, which isn't bad. So it'll be fun to and cheer them on. where did the most athletes come from that made the trials? What state? State, California. Correct. With 99. Interestingly, Colorado was second with 94 athletes. New York, a distant third with 43. Texas had 33 athletes in this or has 33 athletes in this field. So there you go. We'll have, we'll have a rogue cheer spot out there. I don't know exactly where that's going to be yet, but if you're in Atlanta, come see me on Saturday, 8 30 AM at the Olympic rings in Atlanta, Olympic Centennial park. That'll be right by where the finish line is across the street from the waffle house that everybody's talking about. We'll do a little shakeout run with Kara and then go get primed and ready to cheer for the trials. So we're wishing everyone luck. Uh, best of all, all the competitors that have trained for so long to do this, wish everyone well and um, good health and um, hope it's a great race. Yep. It will, it will no doubt be a great race. Excited to cheer this on. It'll be exciting to recap it on the other side. We'll wrap it here. Brad, thanks for joining me. Really appreciate it. This has been thanks episode. Yes. This has been episode 171 of the Running Rogue podcast. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we will talk to you soon.